Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Lee Zlotoff. In today's interview, you're going to hear the background story of how the founder of MacGyver, or should I say the screenwriter and creator and producer of the MacGyver pilot episode, came to become a writer and also how he came up with what he calls the MacGyver secret, which is a technique for solving problems and tapping into what he calls your inner MacGyver, which you might also see as your subconscious or your higher self, basically that place you can go to to get solutions to problems to be creative that's not conscious. So Lee Zlotoff is the guest and his story is definitely one that's a little bit unusual compared to my regular guests. So he's not a pure entrepreneur, though what he's going to teach us is definitely something entrepreneurs can make use of. Plus, if you're a MacGyver fan, you're going to hear a little bit about the background of how that show first came into creation. So I think you'll enjoy this episode. If you want to get all the episodes of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast as soon as they are released and also a series of my very best episodes from the archives, make sure you go to interviewsclub.com and enter your name and email address there to sign up to the list so you'll receive that email every time I release a new episode. That's interviewsclub.com. Now here's Lee with his very interesting backstory. Hello, this is Yaro Stark and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, which is a little bit of a different episode today. I have to admit, normally I focus on pure internet-based entrepreneurs, but when I was contacted about this particular guest, it was hard to say no because I thought it would be a very interesting backstory and still very relevant to entrepreneurs. So who am I talking about? Well, my guest today is Lee Zlotoff, who is the uh, the man behind MacGyver, among uh, many other TV shows and uh, uh, entertainment that I've actually seen growing up. I've actually just recently found out that Lee's beh- behind The Man from Snowy River, at least a producer on that show. So I I watched that growing up in Australia. So there's a lot of interesting background I'd love to learn about with Lee, as well as talk about his new book, The MacGyver Secret, and maybe break down a little bit about what he's teaching there in particular regarding what entrepreneurs can take away in terms of being more creative, solving problems in the way that MacGyver is very well known for solving problems. So Lee, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Yaro. So uh, normally on my show, I do go back in time and look at the history of my guests. Now, uh, the first question I would ask you is, were there any business projects? You know, did you have a lemonade stand or some sort of trading card uh, experience in your youth? I'm guessing that's not the case for you. But was there anything, you know, in terms of your youth that kind of led to your career? Do you have a normal career to begin with going to university and, you know, becoming an accountant or a doctor or something like that? Well, uh, I was, um, so I was a contractor, uh, uh, when I was in college, um, because I needed to find a way to support myself and I got married shortly after I started college. So I went into, uh, contracting and home repairs and that kind of stuff because I had learned that growing up from my father. And so I knew I could do it. Um, but, uh, the college I went to, which is called St. John's college, which actually has two campuses, one in New, um, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and one in Annapolis, Maryland. I went to the one in Annapolis, Maryland, 
but when I was there, I determined that it might be interesting to go into the entertainment business. I had some exposure to that when I was a kid. Um, and so I decided, uh, uh, after uh, graduating from school that I would work part-time as a contractor and part-time as a screenwriter. And, uh, eventually I made my way to New York and, uh, was able to get a job writing for a soap opera. And, uh, eventually I moved to Los Angeles and after a couple of years, I broke in as a TV writer and, uh, the rest, as they say, is kind <laughs> is of there on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you know, as a young man heading to New York to to potentially become a screenwriter, you didn't have any writing experience before that. Like, was it? I'm trying to timestamp this as well. I'm assuming it's a different world a little bit back then to become a screenwriter than it might be today. Do you just sort of write something and then show up at a studio or connect with someone? How does it work? Well, in that particular case. Um, a friend of my parents was a business manager for people in the entertainment business. And actually, he was one of the people who said, you know, you've done some acting as a kid and you're doing photography. Maybe you're interested in the entertainment business. And he said, if you can write, that's a good way in because writing you can do all by yourself. You know, if you're going to direct or produce or act, you got to have everybody else. But writing is a solitary activity. So I said, well, let me try writing and see how it goes. So I wrote a script and I sent it to him and he sent it to some agents and they went, he's young and he's raw, but he has talent. He should keep writing. So that basically that script, although it never got made, became kind of my calling card. And so when I got to New York, um, I managed to get a job as a secretary on a soap opera. Um, and, uh, and after a couple of months being a secretary there, I gave my script to the producer and had the audacity to say, I think I can write the show better than it's being written. And he was, <laughs> you know, sneering and dismissive. And I figured, look, the worst that happens is I get fired, right? Because right. I didn't come here to be a secretary. So, you know, I was looking for a job when I found this one. Um, much to my surprise, he came in the next morning and he said, I read your script last night. You're right. You got a job as a writer. And that's how I got my first job. So how, how old were you then, Lee? I was, oh, maybe 22, okay. 23. Confident yeah. young man, huh? Um, and there was no signs before this that writing was your talent. Uh, you know, I would always write stories and stuff as a kid, but I, I never sort of thought about it in any kind of formal way. Um, but when you think about it, really, in some sense, we're all storytellers. It's just a question of what form you tell your stories in and whether you tell your stories effectively. Mm. Every business is a story. Okay, do you get people to buy into the story or do people go, ah, I've heard that story before, I don't believe that story. So, but really, when you think about it, they're all stories. So I realized at a certain point I had a facility for telling stories and I could do that in you know written form and that really became the path that I started on. So take us forward. You went from New York to L.A., which I assume was purely because there's more work available there? Yeah, well, it was a couple things. Uh, we were considering starting a family, and I didn't really want to raise my family in New York City. Um, so that would mean moving to a suburb. And I thought, well, so long as we're moving to a suburb, we might as well move to California because, yes, there were more opportunities there than there were in New York. And it took me I guess uh, I got, you know, I had small writing jobs off and on. And to be honest, sometimes I had to do contracting work to pay the bills. But after about two or three years, 
I broke through and suddenly um, there were several television shows that wanted to hire me on staff. So I uh, suddenly I went from making, you know, couple hundred dollars a week to making a couple hundred, I mean, a couple thousand dollars a week. And it was a big jump. So what was so, the, what was the first big breakthrough there? What, what, what show? There were, there were, believe it or not, two shows that, that wanted to hire me. One was a revival of the Brett Maverick show with James Garner. And the other one was Hill Street Blues. <laughs> and for reasons I am, I am loath to go into, I made the wrong choice and I chose Brett Maverick instead of Hill Street Blues. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things work out for a reason. And in a certain way, writing on Brett Maverick, believe it or not, actually kind of led to the book, The MacGyver Secret. And, really? and so in many ways, everything happens for a reason. So I didn't realize it was connected all the way back to the start of your career. Well, so to kind of transition or fill in that gap, um, I came up with the MacGyver secret because when I started writing on Brett Maverick, you know, these days there are eight or nine writers on a staff of a typical hour show. Back then there were three of us. So I was responsible for every third, sometimes even every other script, which meant I had to crank out an enormous amount of creative material under unbelievably tight deadlines. And I noticed that the best stuff came to me not when I was sitting in front of my, I'm really going to date myself now, Selectric typewriter, because this was before people even used computers, right. okay? Uh, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, <laughs> okay. and, uh, and I noticed that the best stuff came to me when I was either driving or taking a shower, not when I was racking my brain in front of my typewriter trying to come up with an idea. You know, and at first I thought, well, this was just a quirk, but it happened with such consistency that... You know, when I'd get jammed up in the office, I'd run outside, jump in my car, and go driving around Hollywood looking for a shower. Right. Now, you know, it, it solved the problem. It created certain other problems because <laughs> at the office they went, okay, this guy's either a drug dealer or he's screwing everybody in town because he keeps disappearing for no apparent reason and showing up freshly showered. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is in Hollywood, so long as the scripts were coming in on time and were good, they didn't care. So it was like, look, whatever it is, just let them keep doing it. But I asked myself, why is it that the best stuff comes when I'm driving and showering and not when I'm supposedly supposed to be working? And the answer I came up with was when I'm driving and showering, my conscious mind or what I call the hamster wheel of thoughts that start when we wake up in the morning and keep going until we go to sleep at night was preoccupied. So it couldn't get in the way. I had to pay attention to what I was doing when I was driving and showering. And that allowed the stuff from my quote unquote inner MacGyver or subconscious, if you want to call it that, to sort of bubble up. And I went, that stuff is great. And the stuff that I come up with when I'm, you know, racking my brain into typewriter, it's not so great. So then I said to myself, okay, is there a way to reproduce the results of driving and showering without having to drive or shower. So that took a couple of years and some other writing jobs, you know, and other staff jobs. I kept experimenting and trying things and practicing. And it was when I was actually writing the pilot for MacGyver that I found the answer. And the answer was simply this. I put a whiteboard in my office and I put a workbench in my office. And the whiteboard was to write down my questions, 
and my answers. And the workbench, excuse me, the workbench was to build models. So you know those things you can buy, like build the Empire State Building out mm -hmm, of paper? Mm -hmm. I built every monument in the world that they had a kit for. Right. I built the Taj Mahal. I built the Vatican. I built the Great Sphinx at Giza. I built the Brooklyn Bridge. Now listen, nobody needs a paper model of the Brooklyn Bridge, okay? But it wasn't because I needed the models. It was because working on the models served the same purpose as driving or showering. Namely, it shut off my conscious mind, made me focus on something else so that my inner MacGyver or subconscious mind could solve the problem. So what I would do is I would go to the board and I would say, I need a new idea for an episode. And I just write, I need an idea for an episode. And then I'd say to my inner MacGyver, okay, you're the one with all the great ideas. You work on this. I'm going to go focus on that model and I'll come back in half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and you're going to have something for me. And then I would simply go sit and work on the model and not think about it. Really, just let the problem go entirely and just do almost kind of idiot work, you mm. know, just cut, paste, glue, follow instructions, whatever. And then I'd come back and I'd say to my subconscious, my inner MacGyver, I go, okay, what do you got? And then I would simply start writing on the whiteboard anything at all i could write the star spangled banner i could write what i wanted to have for lunch it didn't matter what i wrote within 30 to 45 seconds those ideas would literally just flow out of me right onto the whiteboard and five minutes later i'd have three killer ideas for an episode and i would just do that repeatedly so it would typically take a writer anywhere from a week to two weeks to break a story that is lay it out scene by scene mm -hmm. on a day I could basically spend six six and a half hours working on those goofy models an hour an hour and a half at the whiteboard but at the end of the day Yarrow I had an entire story laid out scene for scene and the next day I'd sit down and I type it up and I turn it into my boss and he'd go how the hell did you break a story in two days and mm -hmm. I would say I just didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he'd laugh and go, I don't care how you do it. Start on the script. This is great. And I moved from being literally a story editor to a supervising producer to an executive producer in like two and a half years because I could write scripts in record time and they were all shootable. And in Hollywood, that meant I was worth my weight in platinum. Mm. It's so interesting. I, I, I'd love to ask you as an entrepreneur and for the entrepreneurs listening, how to solve some of the problems we face using this methodology. But before we do that, I have to move forward to the point where you actually start working and writing for MacGyver because there's obviously a very clear connection there between your methodology and the methodology that MacGyver, uh, who you wrote, actually solves problems. So can you take us forward from this initial experience in LA to when the MacGyver project came up? Was it shortly after that or further down the track? Well, as I say, I kind of, all the pieces of this method came together when I was writing the pilot for MacGyver. And, you know, part of the thinking there was, look, for any, you know, show, you're gonna go, what's the hook of this show? Why are people gonna come back and watch it next week? And we did something very simple, which is, Suppose we have an action-adventure hero and he doesn't use a gun. I mean, you just take a gun away. It's like standard, you know, standard fare for every action-adventure hero. And we went, 
Suppose we just take that away. Now what? Now he has to find a way to solve the problem without a gun. And that opened up that whole idea of, you know, using whatever was at hand in creative ways. So it turned out his weapon was really his mind. His weapon wasn't a gun. And knowing chemistry and physics and all that stuff, he then could look at any situation and say, what do I have in front of me that I can use to solve this problem? And combine things in creative and interesting and innovative ways. And consequently, you know, that was the hook that brought people back. It was also one of those shows where the whole family could watch it together. You know, usually TV divided the family. Kids like cartoons and the sitcoms. Mom liked the soap operas. Dad liked to watch sports. An oversimplification, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. Whereas MacGyver, dad watched it because he liked to see what those engineering creative things were that he was going to come up with. Mom liked it because he was cute and he didn't use a gun. And the kids went, man, anything that mom and dad are going to watch together and let us watch, we're there. Mm -hmm. So it became really a, a family experience. And to this day, when I meet, you know, MacGyver fans, one of the things they talk about is how that really affected them watching the whole show, the watching the show together as a whole family, because that was rare for the most part. So that idea of just take the gun away. What does that do to the character? What does that do to the show? Well, it gave us the hook. Every week you would turn in and say, well, what is this guy going to come up with this week? Because if he's not just going to shoot back, he's going to have to come up with something else. And then obviously you get to know the character. Richard Dean Anderson was just phenomenal in that role, you know? Mm -hmm. And so those, what I now call the core attributes of MacGyver, which is, you know, avoid conflict, figure out how to turn which what you have into what you need and uh, do it with a sense of humor and humility. I think those are the three things that made MacGyver basically a global phenomenon because as you know, as popular as it is in the United States, it's infinitely more popular all around the world in the far East, in the middle East, in South America, in Europe, in Australia. So, you know, mm. <coughs> was, there a, you have it. was it a hard, like to get that pilot and get the show off the ground, was that a hard pitch or did it actually end up being quite easy to convince people to take it on? Well, so this was unusual because I was actually hired to write a show. Henry Winkler's company um, had sold a concept to ABC um, called Hourglass. So they wanted to do uh, a one hour show in one hour of time. And they hired me to write it. And I said, oh, so you want to do a serial, like what 24 became? And they said, no, no, it can't be a serial. They have to be standalone episodes. Has to have a beginning, middle, and end in each episode, because in those days, the foreign distributors didn't want serials. Mm -hmm. And I went, well, there's a reason it's never been done before. And they said, what's that? And I said, it's not going to work. They said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it sounded good in the room when you sold it, but that's because nobody in the room had to actually build the house. I said, you, what happens if the character has to travel? You're, you're giving away the ability in film and television to jump space and time instantaneously if it has to be literally one hour of ticking clock. He can't travel anywhere. Mm -hmm. You've got to start the episode where it ends. So you've got you know, the bank vault show, the sinking submarine show, the stuck elevator show. The I said, you see where I'm going with this, guys? You're mm -hmm. kind of limiting yourselves here. I can write that pilot, but 
if you want a series that's going to last five years or more, you're going to choke to death on this idea. Mm-hmm. Well, they got a little mad at me, and I said, I understand. Nobody wants to be told their baby's ugly, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I said, you know, you want me to step away? I'll step away. They said, no, we want you to solve the problem. I said, okay. So then I started coming up with ideas, and eventually the idea that the network liked was MacGyver. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it. And they loved the script, and the next thing I knew, they were making the pilot. And then it turns out you didn't actually have an issue with not serializing it and doing self-contained episodes every episode. No, because, because you know, it, it no longer had to conform to that, you know, one hour of real time is one hour of TV time because, oh, here's a character, and he's different, and he's interesting, and, you know, and we know what the hook is. Every week, people are going to tune back in to say... What is this guy going to come up with next? Right. What kind of a situation can we throw him into? You know, what what can he use? And that was fun. It still is fun. I mean, listen, it's the word MacGyver has become a verb right. in the language. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to ask then, given this methodology that you came up with and then MacGyver itself, I had this vision of you and the other writers sitting at a table around you know talking about the next upcoming episode and putting MacGyver into whatever like a library or not a library an elevator with a bomb in there and all he's got is a a packet of matches and a a, you know a sewing needle or something like that and I'm, I'm thinking you must have some engineers or people with some kind of scientific background as well for certain situations did you just sit there and all throw throw ideas at each other how to solve problems or was it more structured like that so uh to be clear I wrote the pilot. I did not stay with the series, so so other writers really took it over from there. But what I did and what ultimately they did is I found consultants who knew physics and chemistry, and what we would do is work with the consultants, and I'd say, look, I want to do something like this. And they would say, well, could he have this there, or could he be here, because then he would have this, and then I could he could do this. And so basically... Either they would have some ideas or I would have a desire for a certain kind of situation. And we just kind of work it back and forth until we could make, you know, whatever made sense to be in the scene. So, for instance, in the pilot, you know, it's kind of he's going down into this government lab that's super high tech and has gone haywire. Okay, and um, and he brings a pouch and somebody says, well, What's in the pouch? He says, the pouch is not for what I bring. The pouch is for what I find along the way. And along the way, you know, there's a canning machine in the in this complex. And it's broken open because, you know, there was an explosion and that's why everything's gone haywire. And he's got to go down and rescue scientists that are trapped at the bottom. And he takes a bunch of chocolate bars and he puts them in his bag. And you think, why is he taking chocolate bars? And then he gets down at the bottom and there's a sulfuric, there's a big tank of sulfuric acid and he's, and it's leaking. And that's because one of my experts said, oh, the sugar in a chocolate bar will combine with the sulfuric acid to create this gummy paste and he can seal the leak with the chocolate bars. And I thought, man, that's just perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what we did. And of course, when the series got picked up, the writers started calling me going, how did you come up with that stuff? Because that's what they want. They want this chocolate bar stuff every week. We don't know how to come up with this stuff. And I said, relax. I gave them the name of all my consultants. They hired them all. And that's how they did it. 
So right, I can imagine the creativity required every single week is just incredible. Um, take us forward, then, Lee. So MacGyver's a hit. Uh, where, where did you go next? Um, so I worked on a number of other uh, series. I uh, worked on a show called Remington Steel. Um, uh, I worked on oh god, a whole bunch of other shows. Uh, did TV movies. Uh, ultimately. Uh, did a feature film called The Spitfire Grill, which won the Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, has gone on to become, believe it or not, a incredibly successful musical. Um, again, nothing I ever saw happening. But seven years, so MacGyver ran for seven seasons. Um, and I discovered, quite by accident, that at the end of the seven seasons... The studio had dropped the ball and all the rights to MacGyver ended up in my lap. And I went, huh? And, uh, and I had at that point, I had four grown children. Well now, in addition to my four grown children, I have four grandchildren. Um, and I looked at this and I realized that MacGyver had turned into this global mem, this phenomenon. And I looked at this century and I said, you know, this is a critical century. We get this century right. Civilization has a future. We don't get this century right. Mm, there may still be some humans scratching around, but what you and I call civilization sitting here talking over computers, you know, and mm -hmm. cell phones. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, if, if the earth has taught us anything, it's that civilizations come and civilizations go. So for the sake of my children, and my grandchildren and their children and everybody else's, I thought, you know, MacGyver is sort of the perfect character for this century. Why? Because the bottom line is, whether we care to face it or not, we're all in this together as a civilization. It's nice to say, let's make America great again and let's tell everybody else to go to hell. But we've been a global economy for almost 75 years and we are a global civilization now. Mm -hmm. Yarrow, there's no country in the world anymore that can say we have all the resources we will ever need. We can close up our borders. The rest of you can go to hell and we'll be just fine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. We'll like it or not, we're kind of all in this together. And since MacGyver was already embraced by literally billions of people because the show has never stopped running around the world for 30 years. So I thought, you know what? These are great management tools for this century. One, avoid conflict. Yeah, I understand sometimes conflict is inevitable, but unfortunately, more often than not, conflict just leads to more conflict. And at the end of the day, even if you win, the house is still on fire. We haven't solved the global problems. The second thing is, you know, that ingenuity, that resourcefulness, that creativity, or how do you turn what you have into what you need? Because that's what we're all going to have to do more and more, whether it's an individual, a community, a country, or a civilization. And the third thing was that MacGyver principle of no matter how life-threatening or intractable the problem seems, try and approach it with a sense of humor and humility. Because... It turns out that mindset, a laughing and open mindset, is more likely to come up with an innovative solution than a fearful, resentful, or angry mindset. Because then you're just overwhelmed by the emotion, and chances are what you're going to want to come up with is conflict. And we've already decided conflict isn't really going to solve the problems. So 
I said, you know what? If I do nothing else with the rest of my life, I'm going to bring MacGyver back. Mm -hmm. Just remind everybody, mostly on entertainment platforms, that these are good management tools for this century. If you want to use them, great. If you don't, don't. But whenever you're confronted with a difficult situation, maybe the first question you should ask yourself is, let me take a step back. What would MacGyver do? And the MacGyver secret was part and parcel of that, which is this is a better technique for solving problems that anybody can use on any kind of problem. And all you need is a pen and a piece of paper. And it works. So I came up with it for my creating writing purposes. But literally, it was an Internet entrepreneur who I taught this to and who used it to launch his company and came to me and said, you got to put this out there because you can use this for any kind of problem solving and entrepreneurs would love this. And I said, really, you think so? He said, no, I know so. <laughs> he said, it saved my business several times because I was confronted with the problem. I didn't know what to do. I wrote the problem down. I got on my bike and rode up and down the Venice boardwalk and I came back and I said, what do you got for me? And I always got a great answer. So he said, you got to share this with the world. I'll help you. And so that was about four or five years ago. So first thing I did was I contacted some people in the cognitive science world and said, look, there must be some research around this stuff. Who can I talk to? And I was referred to a woman who was then at the University of Michigan. She's a, a graduate a PhD from Yale in psychology and her specialty is cognitive science and creativity and memory. And now she holds the Arthur F. Thalman chair at the University of Michigan Psychology Department. And I wrote her an email. And I said, here's who I am. And I have this kind of thing that I do for creativity. Uh, will you talk to me about it? And so she wrote me back. Of course, it turned out she was a huge MacGyver fan. And, uh, and we started to have telephone conversations. And she would really kind of interrogate me, you know, like, how do you do this? And what happens when you do that? And how does this work? And went through the whole thing with her. And then I finally said, well, what do you think? And she said, I think you just drove a truck through the literature because we've never done anything like this in the, in the sciences. We slice the whole creativity process into very tiny parts and we do these very controlled experiments and nobody's ever done it quite the way you, you've done it. And I want to work with you on this because this is really interesting. And so we started to work together and I started to do some workshops and some presentations, mostly to get feedback for the book so that, you know, I'd have more kind of people who had actually used it and tried it and worked with it to go, okay, what refinements do we need? Are we communicating this properly? And, um, and now that's all been done. And uh, so her name is Colleen Seifert, uh, and she's written all the science pieces in the book where I go, here's... Here's the instruction part. Here's a story about someone who's using it and how they use it. And here's the science that says why it works. So that's basically the MacGyver secret book, which is connect to your inner MacGyver and solve anything. Because the bottom line is everyone, everyone in the world has an inner MacGyver. They have a deeper, more powerful resource that they can use to solve problems. And most of us have just never been taught how to use that. And so this is a very simple, literally there are three steps to this process that anybody can use on any problem. An entrepreneurial problem, a technical problem, a creative problem, a personal problem, doesn't matter. 
any problem at all, you can use this to get a better answer. Let, let me ask you, Lee, then for all the entrepreneurs listening in who are facing, well, everyone faces some version of this problem, which is the I need more customers. I need to figure out a better way of marketing. Uh, can you give us an example of implementing the three steps and, or anything else that's part of this process uh, from either even the experience you had working with that entrepreneur way back when you started or anyone you've worked with since then? Just something practical and meaty so I could take it away and go, oh, I'm going to try this myself. I understand the idea of you know, distracting the conscious mind, distracting the body and letting the subconscious work. But it sounds like there's more to it than just asking some questions and then riding a bike or having a shower? Well, there really isn't much more to it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, so here, I will tell you the three steps right now. Okay. And anyone can go to the MacGyverSecret.com website. You can download the free quick start guide. You can download a whole series. Um, we have a, a mini video course that teaches you how to do it. I mean, it's like, I just want people to try it. You know, if they want to buy the book, great. We're working on a full, you know, online training course, which will be, I think, uh, available come around January. But, but the bottom line is I'm giving you everything you need to try this process for free because I know if you start trying this, it'll work. So here are the three steps, y'all. Incredibly simple. Step one, write the problem down. And believe it or not, it's better if you write it down in longhand than if you type it. Now, exactly why that is, is explained in the book by Colleen, because that's a science thing. I don't particularly understand exactly it. You would think, what's the difference between writing longhand and typing? The, the bottom line is, there is a difference. When you write longhand, you, it goes deeper into the neural pathways of your mind than if you just type it into a computer. It'll work if you type into a computer. It works better if you sit with a yellow pad or any, any kind of paper and you simply write it longhand. So you write your problem down and you can write it down in as much or as little detail as you want. You can ask it in multiple different ways. You can write a paragraph. You can write a whole page. You can write a whole list of questions. I mean, you are not going to overwhelm your subconscious or your inner MacGyver with too much information. Not possible. It's, it's just massive in its processing power, okay, mm -hmm. compared to your conscious mind. So you write the question down in as many forms as you want. You define it as clearly as possible. And then when you're done writing... You say to yourself, okay, I've written my problem down. I'm turning it over to you, my subconscious, my inner MacGyver. You can call it anything you want. You can call it your higher self. You can call it Superman. It really doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't care what you call it. It knows you're talking to it. And you say, here I've written it down. I'm turning this over to you. You work on it, and I'm going to come back. After a certain amount of time, we can talk about that in a second, and you're going to have an answer for me. And that's it. You just instruct that inner MacGyver to work on the problem and tell it you need an answer. And then you put the question down and you go do something else. Now, that's something else we call an incubation activity. Why? Because your inner MacGyver is, in fact, incubating on the problem you just gave it. But the key is you want to find some activity that keeps that hamster wheel of your head, that conscious mind, preoccupied. That can be exercise of any form. Go for a walk, a jog, a swim, shoot baskets. Any form of exercise is fine. 
You can do cooking, gardening, you can clean the house, you can walk the dog, you can build with Legos. I mean, I built, you know, paper models and then I moved on to wooden models of planes and ships, you know. Right. You can do a crossword puzzle, you can do a Sudoku. There are only four activities that won't work as incubation activities, okay? And they're biggies, so hold your breath. You can't watch TV. It will not work as an incubation activity. Any kind of video or TV won't work. You can't read for the same reason you can't watch TV, and I'll explain that in a second. You want to limit your amount of conversation. You don't, whether it's texting or tweeting or emailing, <coughs> excuse me, or you know, face-to-face -face conversation. You want to avoid conversation, and you can't play super intense interactive video games. So you can play Angry Birds, you can play Tetris, you can play Candy Crush, you can play Pokemon Go, but if you want to play World of Warcraft or Tour of Duty, they will not work as incubation activities. And the reason none of those things will work as incubation activities is because they require an enormous amount of subconscious processing in order to create the world that you are experiencing. So when you sit and watch television, you think, well, the show is on the screen. There is no show on the screen. It is a series of separate, discrete images, you know, flashed at 30 times a second and a series of sounds. And you are the one who is assembling all those at phenomenal speeds in order for it to become a coherent world. So... The world is not really on the television screen. The world is actually constructed in your mind, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So if your mind, your subconscious, is doing all that heavy lifting in order to create that world, it can't be solving your problem. So you want to find an activity that preferably you enjoy doing. Again, any of those, you know, practicing a musical instrument is good, but you want to keep it unimaginative. You can do a crossword puzzle, a Sudoku. Word search puzzles are awesome. You know those ones where you get a grid of letters and you got to find the words in them and circle them? Yes. Lots of experiments show those are great for as an incubation activity. And you do this activity, I usually recommend if you're starting out, an hour to four hours, okay? Now I've been doing this for decades. So literally I can write a question down and 15 minutes later – I got an answer, okay? But that takes practice. Like any other muscle, the more you exercise this particular process, the better the dialogue between you and your inner MacGyver, the faster the answers come. So you write your question down, you tell your inner MacGyver to work on it, and then you get yourself out of the way and you do something else. And then after that incubation activity, whether it's exercise or you know, working with tools, fixing, you know, home repairs, cooking, whatever it is you want to do, you come back and you look at your question, you say to your inner MacGyver, okay, what do you got for me? And then you simply start writing. It doesn't matter what you write. You can write your favorite song. You can write what you want for dinner. You can write why you love your boss or why you hate your boss. Just Physically start writing. And within 30, 40 seconds, a minute of that at the most, 
the answers will literally bubble up from inside you and flow out on the tip of your pen. And you simply keep writing until all those answers are out there on the page. Now, sometimes you get back more questions. That's cool. You can turn right around and ask those questions back of your inner MacGyver. The reason it's giving you questions is it says, I need more information. You got to focus this in a little bit for me because I'm not exactly sure how to solve your problem based on what you've given me. Because what you're really trying to do is establish this dialogue between your conscious hamster wheel head and your inner MacGyver or subconscious. And the more fluid and fluent that dialogue becomes, the easier, the better, and the faster the angels will come. And anecdotally, so in the workshops and, and presentations that we've done, usually somewhere between 65 and 75% of the time, people get back answers that surprise them, where they go, wow, I would never have thought of that. Mm. You go, well, you did just think of that. But what they're really saying is, that was nowhere in my conscious mind when I was thinking about this problem. That's exactly right. That's exactly what you want. Because your subconscious is unlimited. Your inner MacGyver is incredibly resourceful. And your conscious mind is good at defining problems. And it's good at evaluating solutions. It turns out it's just not very good at coming up with solutions. Because... We're not taught to solve problems that way. Mm. So consequently, you know, we're not getting the best answers that are available to us because those are buried deep inside you and all you have to know how to do is ask. But those are really the three steps to the process. Now, there's lots of other things. Can you use taking a nap or sleeping as an incubation activity? Yes, you can. But that takes us, you know, you have to do a few extra other little things to make that work. Can you use this in the office? Can you use this with the team? All of that stuff is in the book, you know. Um, oh, and by the way, the book is in Amazon too, and you can download for the rest of the month. The Kindle version is two ninety nine, so through November thirtieth, um, you can get the Kindle version for just two two ninety nine. But you can buy the book on Amazon. You can buy the book on the MacGyverSecret.com website. But as I say, more of the information about exactly how this works, you can get free on the website. But really, those are the only three steps you need, you know. So uh, it's, it's remarkably simple. It's not complicated. The toughest part about this is believing it because most people think, well, this is magic. How can it work? And you go, well, it just does. Mm. So. I, I, every part of the process, except the final step, I feel I've experienced before. Certainly, having a shower and having you know some of my best ideas, but not the aspect of actually writing. Like certainly doing this in such a proactive, constructed manner, where I would stand at a whiteboard and write anything, and then find myself writing answers to a question. That to me is something I've never experienced. So I'd, I'd like to give that a give that a go. It's interesting. Okay, Lee, um, I, I think, first of all, thank you. I'm sure all the entrepreneurs, plus anyone listening to this, will appreciate that as a, a problem-solving creativity tool. I think for my people, as online entrepreneurs, going back to that question I, I mentioned earlier about marketing and coming up with uh, you know ways to meet new people, that would be one of the first things I'd actually tell my students and my members to, to use this method. See if you can come up with some unique ways to market what your business is about using this methodology. So thank you for that. Um, just to wrap up the interview, 
Can we bring it up to today? Because I know as we record this, there's a whole resurgence, a, a reboot of MacGyver. You're talking about a, a movie coming out as well. So how much of that are, are you involved with and where is this all going? Well, so I'm kind of involved with all of it. I mean, I'm a executive producer on the new MacGyver TV series. In fact, I'm about to start writing an episode for it. Uh, I'm a producer on the feature, the Lionsgate feature film with uh, Neil Moritz of Original Film, who does all the Fast and Furious movies. Um, hopefully, we're going to start pre-production on that in the first part of uh, 2017. Um, and, uh, and then obviously there's the MacGyver secret book. Uh, and then I have more MacGyver projects, you know, coming down the turnpike after that. So this is all part of, you know, sort of me being an entrepreneur using the rights to MacGyver to really bring this character back as again, mostly on entertainment platforms. But here I had this MacGyver secret methodology and I thought, well, so long as MacGyver's coming back, we might as well share this as well. Mm. And, um, you know, think of it as the Swiss Army knife of the mind. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a better way to solve problems. So if uh, if all this continues to flow the way it's flowing, you know, hopefully there will be a steady stream of MacGyver projects. The TV series was initially ordered. They picked up an order of 13 episodes and um, now they've just ordered the what they call the Bat Nine. So they're going to do a full season of MacGyver and it seems to be doing very well. So. We'll see if they want to pick up a second season and the movie, and you know, we'll just keep, we'll just sort of keep marching. But um, is the movie, know, the I, movie, new, <clears throat> completely new? Anything from the old series? How does the the mix happen there? Oh, I think the movie will be pretty new. Yeah, I think um, you know, I mean, there may be some references back to the original show, but um, but right now we're kind of looking at you know, sort of updating it, obviously, just in a way that they sort of did in the TV series. Okay. So, but uh, I can't release any more details about that because <laughs> they'll they'll track me down and they'll put tape over my mouth. So <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, awesome. So uh, the MacGyver Secret or MacGyverSecret.com to find out the, the book. And uh, obviously everyone knows how to go find information about the TV series and the movie. I mean, the TV series is still playing all around the world on repeat, no doubt. So, um, Lee, thank you for, for sharing the background story, your methodology and what's happening with MacGyver right now. Is there anything else you'd like to throw in before we end the episode? Um, I really just want to say this. We've obviously had a very sort of brutal election period here in the United States, and a lot of people are feeling either disenfranchised or frightened. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, it's not about Washington solving our problems. It's about us solving our problems. And all I want to remind people is that they have the resources inside themselves to really solve almost all the problems they're facing. They just need to find a better way to get in there and figure out what the right answers are for them. And so if there was ever a time for MacGyverism or self-reliance, this is that time. Because now more than ever, we need to start coming up with really unique, innovative and creative solutions if we're going to get ourselves out of this mess. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> Fantastic. there's one thing I want to say to your listeners. Sure. It's you have the resources to do this. Don't be afraid figure out how to solve the problems from where you are right now. And Washington mm -hmm. will catch up to you, not the other way around. I like that a lot. Individual responsibility, very important. 
Uh, Lee, thank you again for sharing everything. Um, good luck with uh, all the future MacGyver and also spreading the MacGyver secret. I, I think, as you talked about, this could help a lot of people solve a lot of problems from the, the smaller day-to-day -day problems all the way to potentially the, the big issue problems. So it's, it's something worth practicing. And yes, thank you for taking some time today to talk to me. Thanks for having me on, Yaro. And thank you everyone for listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. If you want to get the show notes and the downloads and the links to go with this episode, head to my blog. Just Google Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and then hit the podcast tab when you arrive at Entrepreneur's Journey and you'll find Lee's episode there. There you have Lee's three steps for tapping into your inner MacGyver. Whenever you face a problem in your business or perhaps your personal life, you can apply his three steps to access your subconscious, your creative mind, and come up with solutions that you might not otherwise think about with your conscious mind. If you enjoyed this interview with Lee and you'd like to go on my newsletter so you get an email every time I release a new podcast, head to interviewsclub.com. Type that into your browser and you'll be directed to a blog post on my EJ blog, which you can then enter your email address to sign up to the newsletter. You'll receive the latest episodes as well as a series of my very best interviews from the podcast archives. That's interviewsclub.com. That's it for today's episode. My name is Yarrow and I'll speak to you on the next Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Bye-bye.